So today is the full moon day of December and uh, traditionally a lot of the Buddhist monasteries around the world there would be a practice of people uh, listening to Dhamma talks in the evening and uh, in many cases also sitting in meditation till, till midnight or in some cases all night. But given that uh, most people here have been working all day today, I think we're probably not going to see many people sitting all night, which is all right. But I did think it would be useful and suitable to uh, give a short Dhamma talk. The decent-sized group of people that turned up today to help out and working down at the lake and volunteering their time is something that uh, personally I, I find very uh, delightful. It's, uh, it's a joy to see that despite all the alternatives, uh, people really want to do this. And it's not because anybody's getting paid. It's not something that's necessarily very popular is uh, there are deeper reasons why people want to do this. There are deeper reasons why people find it uplifting. Every month we have these, well, most months, uh, January, February, March, we don't have them. But the rest of the year we have these late days and there's nearly always a very good bunch of people turn up and offer their time and offer their skill and offer their energy and this, uh, this gesture of generosity uh, clearly makes people feel good. It's not like we're doing a great promotion. Um, nobody's pressured to do it, but it's something that people want to do, to come and, well, on a day like today, it wasn't even warm and lovely. It was cold and hard work out there. Some of you lying <laughs> down in the frost and, and oiling benches and getting frozen. and So it wasn't even fun on the sensual level, but it was nourishing on another level. And this, I think, is uh, worth, worth registering how important this dimension, the inner dimension, is. It's not something that, that necessarily we are all well-educated in. It's not necessarily anything that the world even knows about. Uh, people have, you know, have an opinion about religion, and but... What this is about and what places like this are, are about is a commitment to becoming skilled and educated on the inner dimension. So, uh, of course, the work that people were engaged in down there was it was work on the outer dimension. You know, uh, there is that aspect, of course. Uh, you know, we, if we don't go down there and protect the trees, then in the winter the rabbits and the deer will come and eat them all. And if we don't move the bench away from that meditation hut, that crazy crow, is that what it is? 
will come and will just keep pecking away at the the wood and damaging the heart. And you know, it is important to pay attention to the outer world, becoming overly interested in the inner dimension and becoming skilled in our inner work, which does happen, that can throw us out of balance. Those of you that have read some of the uh, teachings by will may have come across the, that, um, the story of that one young monk who was sitting in his kuti and the roof had fallen in. The thatch had completely gone and the monk was still living in there. The rain was coming in and and uh, everything was wet and and Ajahn Chah was taking a walk around and saw this monk sitting there in his kuti with no roof on it and Ajahn Chah asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm practicing letting go and and I think if I remember rightly, he said, well, that's that's the letting go of a water buffalo which is a, that's a, a kind of the northeastern Thai way of, of a bit of a put-down, <laughs> calling you a drongo, as we would say if you lived in New Zealand or Australia. Uh, so that's the letting go of a drongo, not wise letting go. To cultivate wise letting go, we need, we need a balance of inner and outer work. And as I was saying, this is not something that we're necessarily school then anymore the, the emphasis in the world at least in the western world is what we've for the last uh, millennium anyway we've emphasized uh, the scientific materialistic education and, and become very impressive in our ability to manipulate material conditions but our ability to accord with the inner conditions is not very impressive you know, like like resentment uh, that's um, you know, the lack of forgiveness uh, resentment the bitterness goes on for generations within families between nations and the consequence is very unimpressive and so resentment desire the rampant desire that is destroying the planet that we live on the evidence is very clear, very clear, although there's still a few drongos, let <laughs> me use that word again, around who, who are denying uh, the, the reality, the scientific evidence, yeah, that, uh, that we can't, this is not sustainable. There's no way. There's not, he, not talking about the air, that's pretty clear and obvious, and water, that's very clear and obvious, and lots of other elements and Materials that we are, in fact, totally dependent upon uh, are already very scarce and uh, running out. Not enough of anything other than, well, other than wisdom, which is of the inner domain. Now, wisdom is not not having good ideas. If it was a matter of good ideas, well, we've all got plenty of those, lots of ideas. But ideas are more in the domain of knowing about things, which is quite different from knowing things, knowing things directly. Like if people have done their inner work, people who have done their inner work, and there are fortunately such characters on the planet who have done their inner work, they know desire. They know the reality of fear, which is why they're never afraid, they're never caught up in desire. 
But for the rest of us, we do get caught up in fear and we do get caught up in desire. And it's not a shortage of good ideas, it's a shortage of wisdom. So having a balance, knowing how to become skilled in the outer work, yes, knowing how to adjust conditions, becoming good at looking after trees, bricklaying, medicine, driving, engineering, whatever else, all the things that we we have been well skilled in. Yes, that's definitely important. It's got its place. But also this other dimension, the inner work, and really valuing that. Now, the world doesn't generally value it. It's only when it starts to fall apart and things get to crisis do people tend to pay attention to it. And then once they're vaguely got their head above water again, well, then they forget about it. And Well, those who are profoundly wise and contented and beyond fear and desire recommend otherwise. They say, well, don't wait until it's all falling apart, but recognize in advance, cultivate the skill, get to know the inner terrain and get to know what our inner world is about. So, yeah, everybody down there today working away, but it's not, they're not here in the monastery. You're not all here in the monastery so as to plant trees, but you appreciate, hopefully, thankfully, and apparently, because it seemed all harmonious down there today, that people and we all appreciate that there is this dimension to life. Now, sometimes, uh, I have heard it said in, in monasteries, and people who, that's the, the ones the, uh, with the letting go like water buffalo, they... They, uh, they don't want to do any work. And I've heard it said. So I didn't come to the monastery to do work. Yeah. I just finished preparing the our forest center calendar and the, and the picture for September is a picture of our monastery where the, the monks are all pulling great big boulders. And I, I purposely put that image there in case anybody's thinking about coming to live here. They need to know that, that we do work here. Because if we forget our outer work, we forget that we've got bodies, then we go get very imbalanced. Just as those who are not aware of the inner dimension. You know, those that think that it's all about meditation. And all they want to do is run away from the untidiness of relationships. Now when you come back into the material world and you bring your mindfulness into the body when you bring your mindfulness into a relationship you realize well it's very hard work being honest for instance in relationship is very hard work being patient in relationship is very hard work it's much easier just to tell somebody to get lost and go and find another person to hang out with but you can only do that for so long and then you end up being very lonely and don't have any friends sooner or later in life we do need to learn that these qualities can be cultivated and, and this is, of course, the skill of the inner work. It's not like somebody lectures us and tells us, oh, you've got to become patient or you've got to become grateful or you need to develop humility. Yeah. Of course, all of these things, patience and gratitude and humility, are all, you know, they're all good stuff. But if we're just doing them because somebody told us to do them, well, that's not it. And so once again, that's the importance of a balanced appreciation of 
inner and outer work, if we have a balanced appreciation of these things, well, then you start to see for yourself. You just oh, It's obvious. You see. Like in meditation. You know, if you're sitting meditation every day, at least 20 minutes a day, at least six days a week, you're putting time aside to sit in meditation, and after a while you realize that actually you're not so clever after all. When we don't meditate, we're just listening to this endless babble in our heads and then exercising our ability to distract ourselves from it with all the intense options there are now around for distraction. Endless, pretty well. Options for distracting ourselves from our unhappiness. If we don't say no to those impulses and stop and listen inwards, until things settle for a while, maybe we'll get around and we just always think we're great. And that's, uh, that's a great pity because at the very least, our, um, our life's going to come to an end and we're going to realise that we're not so great after all and we're going to struggle. But almost certainly before then, our uh, limitations are going to be thrust in our face, our inability to deal with desire, our inability to deal with fear, our inability to tolerate conflict is going to be evident. And So the wise thing to do is to find out sooner rather than later. And this is the thing. That, for instance, if we put 20 minutes a day aside to sit meditation and you've been doing this for a while, you it becomes evident pretty quickly, actually, that we don't know very much at all. We don't know the future at all. We get around as if we know the future. We worry about it enough. We speculate about it enough. We make decisions based on our speculations about the future. But we don't know the future at all. And we don't know the reality of a lot of these things that I've been talking about, like desire. What is the reality of desire? What is it, actually? What is desire? We all have desire. Desire to get stuff, the desire to get rid of stuff. But what is the reality of desire? It uh, can cause a lot of trouble. Desire, wanting to be loved. Endless. Endless permutations of the expression of wanting to be loved, feeling unloved, afraid of being unloved, fear of rejection. How much trouble does that cause us? And what's it all based on? It's all based on ignorance regarding the actuality, the reality of desire. Those who have done their inner work those who have put time aside, those who have committed themselves to the inner inquiry and have come to realise the actuality of desire, don't suffer from desire. Desire is not a problem for them. Just like, you know, a child doesn't know the reality of fire and sees this pretty sparkling stuff and if mummy and daddy have left them unattended to for a while then uh, unfortunately, as happens sometimes, the, uh, the kid sticks his hand in the fire and gets burnt. And it's not because the kid's bad, is it? It's because the kid's ignorant, ignorant of the reality of fire. 
And so it is for us. We're ignorant of the reality of desire, and so we grasp it. And it becomes a habit, because everybody else around us is doing it. It becomes a habit, and, and so then we develop a personality around manipulating and controlling our desires. But the struggle and the suffering we have over it is all because we don't understand it in terms of Dhamma, in terms of truth, in terms of actuality. But the good news is that that's not an obligation. That's what places like this are about. That's what retreat centers are about. One of the, I think one of the, the obvious great contributions that Buddhism has made to the West in the, in the last few decades is the, the advent of meditation centers. There's hundreds, thousands of them all around the world now where, where people, lay people who live busy lives can take time out and can stop. And usually the first three days for most people are pretty torturous. Then after that, the momentum quietens down, slows down a little bit, and you start to see directly, you can start to see directly the nature of your own mind, and you can see you're not obliged to suffer. You don't have to move. Just because there's that movement in the mind, you don't have to move. Whatever you are, we don't even know who we are. And that becomes evident. That's kind of humbling. But the great, one of the great discoveries of meditation is that it's okay to admit that you don't know. It's a great relief to admit that you don't know. I don't know who I am. But you don't have to know who you are. You can be who you are. We don't have to be following a lot of the conditioning that we've been subjected to. And that's part of the benefit of giving an appropriate amount of time to doing inner work, to slowing down, coming to see directly for ourselves, that that movement of the mind is just that. It wasn't there, it's there, and it's gone. It's like looking at a lake that's, that's still. It's like sometimes the lake down there. You go down there and there's no wind and, and it's sheltered by the hills and... And it's just per- sometimes it's just almost absolutely perfectly still. It's wonderful reflection. And then if you just throw a, a pebble or something into it, and then there's this movement, it's rippled. The ripple goes there for a while, and it's gone. It's still again. That ripple's not ultimate. And you're standing there watching the whole thing. That's not something that we can find out by thinking about it. But it is something we can find out by exercising the option that we do have to disengage from the hyperactivity of the outer world and spend an appropriate amount of time doing it in a work. You come to see our desires like that. And then maybe you also come to see that how we create struggles around it, like what happens if the desire arises and like you're sitting there in meditation and I want to check my phone to see if I've got any messages. I want to check my emails and see if that person has replied to me. And at that point, we've got a choice. 
You can listen to that voice. You can watch, feel that movement, that ripple. And you can keep feeling it, keep watching it. Give yourself some prompts like just watching or just so. It is just so. That desire that wasn't there, it is there now. It is just so. It's just so. It's what it is. It's a ripple. It's a movement. And you can watch it. And you don't have to move. Or you can move. And then you move on it. And then what's happening? Then what's happening, if you're subtle, if you're present enough, you see the fear that has been generated by clinging to the desire. I want to know if that person has replied to my email to tell me that they want to meet me at such and such a place. And then you open your phone up and, and then they've just told you to get lost. They don't want to see you ever again. And then you suffer and, and then you say, oh, I shouldn't have stopped my meditation. I, <laughs> the relationship between desire and fear becomes evident. You start to see, look, if you don't cling to desire, fear doesn't arise. This fear that we suffer from is a direct consequence of clinging. You go, wow, look at that. All that time, all that energy that I've been putting into trying to get away from fear, blaming other people for it, and you made me feel threatened, you made me feel vulnerable, you did this, you did that, and my father did that, and my mother did this, and my but all this energy and time blaming outside conditions when the reality is, the truth is, the fact is, and always has been, that if you don't cling to desire, you don't create fear. One of the wonderful teachings that I remember Ajahn Chah giving, so a great source of inspiration and uh, encouragement, the only thing you've got to be afraid of is clinging to desire. And if you are caught up in fear, that's really helpful. Because being caught up in fear is called terror. It's terrifying. To be caught up in fear is terrifying. To go to sleep with dread, to wake up with dread. If you've ever experienced being caught up in fear or terror, to have that direct pointing, the only thing to be afraid of in meditation is clinging to desire. So these are some, um, some hints about and hopefully some encouragement about the value of getting the balance right. You know, the education that we all received in school definitely has its place. We're hugely fortunate to be so well educated. We were taught how to think straight and to inquire and to ask important, useful questions that direct our mind intention, our mind's energy, our heart's energy. If we weren't educated, we would be a lot more limited than we are already. But that secular scientific education doesn't answer all our questions, and that's, that's the realm of the inner work, the realm of the spiritual world, the realm of religion. And because uh, many people are imbalanced in this area and speak from a place of imbalance in this area, that is, they speak from a place of unawareness, from ignorance, well, then they give the whole inner world, the spiritual world, the world of religion, a bad reputation, and that's unfortunate. 
So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Amen. Um.